welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. I certainly want to say good morning to everybody. We are in week two of a series called Shout Out. Now that's not to be confused with Shout At. There is way too much shouting at that seems to be going on in our culture today. Would you agree? We are shouting at one another politically. We shout at one another at work. We shout at one another at home that way. We've actually learned to weaponize this. It's interesting. When the scripture tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue, when we shout at one another, we are certainly tearing one another down to try to set ourselves up. Yet, if we will shout out to one another, that is, shout out in the sense of, like, I see this in you. Here's a word of affirmation. Here's a word of praise that's going forth. Aren't those life-giving things? In fact, how many received a shout out? Somebody gave you a shout out in the last seven days. Can I just see your hands there? I mean, there's a few in here. Okay, so you got a shout out, right? I mean, it was life-giving, wasn't it? This is a little bit of a, you know, dig question, but how many gave a shout out last week? Now think about this, the the correlation between the two. But in the next seven days, what if we were purposeful in looking for what is something, what is some good that we're seeing in a person, and we just give them that shout out for that? If we do do it, we're actually following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus gave shout-outs, words of life, to followers of his as he saw them making a difference. In fact, one place that we note Jesus doing so, he actually through the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 16, he gives 27 shout-outs, individuals who are making a difference, who are bringing life change to the church. In fact, when we look at this list of 27 people, and that's kind of where our series just kind of emerged from, we made a couple of just big observations. From this list of people there, we recognized that when we choose to serve, when we choose to make a difference with our life, it's something that Jesus notes and gives honor to. When we think about the fact that each and every one of us has the potential to make a difference, and that Jesus is calling us to do that. That can be a huge life-impacting thing for us. In fact, if I were to ask you, over the last seven days, when Jesus looks at how you've chosen to use the opportunities you've been given, would you hear a well done given to you? The way you're living 2023, would you hear well done from Jesus? It is true that each and every one of us that have received our salvation from Jesus, that we are going to stand before him someday, and he will look back in our lives. And his great desire will be to be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. It is my sincere prayer for every one of us that when we do stand before Jesus, because we've taken these opportunities, that we're going to hear those words and, of course, then receive the reward that God has for everybody that gets them as well. That's, that was that first takeaway. It's like, you know, making a difference is something that Jesus is calling us into. 
And then we also noted this. As we looked at these 27 different names, we noted that they were both men and women that were leading in church. 10 of the 27 names of the leaders of the church that were going on and getting these shout outs in Rome were women. Which leads to this very sincere question. Kind of like the question of the day. How many have ever heard that a woman should not be leading or a leader or a pastor in church? How many have ever heard that? Would you kind of just see your hand if you've ever heard that before? Like, certainly the vast majority. Okay, we've heard that. Why would a person say that? Well, if you were to ask the person saying it, they would say, well, the reason I'm saying that is because that's what God says so. This is what the scriptures say. And they might point us to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, which we kind of teased out a little bit last week. It says this, that a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And all the men said, those are some really smart men out there. We have a deeply, deeply held conviction here at Fox River. I hope most of us have the same conviction. And the conviction is this, that we are not going to add to what God tells us in his word, nor are we going to take away or ignore it. And our reason for doing so is because we understand this, that God in giving us the scripture, these are his God-breathed words. In other words, they are inspired by God. And they're things that are profitable and it's profitable for teaching and for correcting and, and training us that way. And so we come to words such as 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we go like, what is it that God is telling us here? Because he's telling us something for sure. And I will say, he's telling us some very important things here. Anytime we look to the scripture, anytime we seek to understand what the scripture is telling us, the first thing we want to ask ourselves is, what is the context? Now, that's not just true of the Bible. It's true of any literature. When you're reading something, you go like, what is the context that what is being said is being said in? Because if you change the context, right, you could change the whole thing. We Wisconsinites, we really understand this concept because of our governance. You see, in our legislature, telling you what you already know, of course, that our legislature can craft a budget bill. This is our desire, this is our intent for law to be put into place. And then they send this budget bill to our governor. Now our governor has what is called the line item veto. Our governor can take whatever's been given to him and if he chooses, he could cross out a paragraph. Or he could cross out a sentence. Or, as we've discovered and governors have learned over time, they can cross out a single word in there. You can take a statement. If the legislature says, here's what we're proposing for law. Thou shalt not raise taxes. And the governor receives this and he reads it and goes, okay. And he takes his pen and he just crosses out one word. The word not. And it goes from thou shalt not raise taxes to now the law will read this. Thou shalt raise taxes. And the governor goes like, okay, if that's what you want. And he signs that into law that way. Now, 
Is he paying attention to what the original intent was? Like, no, he's changed the context of that. He's ignored the context, and hence, it's like totally different. That's why I always have to pay attention to the context. So, if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Timothy right now. If you have Bible on your phone, please open up your Bible apps right now. Go to 1 Timothy. I think it's going to be really helpful if you can take some notes along the way. I guarantee it. It will be worth your while in doing that. If you don't have a Bible app on your phone, you can use the QR code, scan that. You can find a Bible app there. And you'll be able to follow along with us. If you're scanning and looking at the book of 1 Timothy, you're going to notice this. So it's written to a person by the name of Timothy. It's written from the Apostle Paul. His purpose in writing, he goes right into in the very first chapter, and he says, there have become false teachers and thus false practices that are happening in this wonderful church or churches of Ephesus. So in the first half, Paul writes to Timothy. He's calling out the problem. He's saying, you've got false teachers. You've got this, you know, um, deviations that are practicing in worship right now. He goes like, these things have to be dealt with. So there's this call out. The second half of chapter one, he's calling up. He says, Timothy, I know you're young, but you can do this. This is why you are there. You can step up and step into it, and that's what I want you to do. Which brings us to chapter two. And Paul takes him right into, we want to deal with what's going on in your public, just like we're meeting right now, these public worship services. In verse one, he starts out this way. Paul says, now I urge them, First of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and for all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. He says, this is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul's prayer. It's for those that don't know Jesus to come to know him and all that that will bring to them. For, he says, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people on the cross in his resurrection. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time, that is the resurrection. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and apostle, and I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. Paul's saying this, when it comes to your worship, here's what I want to happen. First of all, I want want you to get your focus on God. In prayer, I want you to come to God because he is the one who will answer your prayer. And this public prayer, your prayers together, they're going to make a difference in people's lives. He says, I want your worship to be heartfelt. I hope today that you've experienced, that you felt a heart, a sincere openness and worshiping of God. And he says, I want you to keep an eye toward evangelism. That is, always pay attention to those that don't know Jesus yet. Help them to be able to discover the life and the life change that's found in him. That's what I want to be going on in these worship services. But verse 8 says, therefore. Now, because of the things that are going, this is now therefore, because I want this, therefore, he said, I want men everywhere to pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Why does he say this? Because when people were coming together for church, many of the men were coming in almost with a chip on their shoulder. They were coming in angry. They were coming in just to 
argue with one another in the church service. And quite frankly, it was short-circuiting all the good things that could be happening because of this action here. And Paul's going like, this is not what we did. This is not how we began things. I've always been intrigued that the Apostle Paul spent more time here in the church of Ephesus, over three years, than he did in all of the other scores of churches that he began. There was so much God was doing. There were so many good and powerful, wonderful things. He called it the great door of opportunity that was opened up to him. And when he was there, there weren't these displays and outbursts going on. But since he's left, what's happened? More people have come. More and more people have received Jesus. And these men are coming into the church. But what they're doing when they're coming in, they're bringing the culture with them. See, in Ephesus, there was this shout at culture that was taking place. I mean, again, similar to what we're seeing today. And they're bringing it into church with them. And more and more people are coming in. And their sanctification, that is their Christian growth, wasn't keeping up with the influx of people. And so this was beginning to become a pattern where people could see like, you know, from week to week, this is what's taking place. And he goes like, that's a problem. Then he goes, and, verse nine, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds and appropriate for women who profess to worship God. What was happening here? You had women who were dressing in a way that was sexually provocative. They were um, showing off their wealth. So he's not saying here it's, it's wrong to wear jewelry. He's not saying it's wrong to take care of your hair. But begin because of the culture and the context. You see, Ephesus is the world center for the worship of Artemis. Artemis is the goddess of sex. And there were multiple temples all over Ephesus and multiple of the um, idol shops that were there making these, you know, um, displays of Artemis. And that was kind of leaking again back into the church. And Paul goes like, this is short-circuiting what could and should be taking place. Which then brings us to verse 11 and 12. And a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Context. There's four clarifiers. They think it will really help you to understand what is being said here. When the scripture was originally written, it was written in Greek or Koine Greek. We have an English translation of that. Most of the things I say, you're going to be like, oh, I can see that there now, but you don't see it quite as clearly if you don't look at it in the original Greek that was taking place there. The first clarifier is this, that Paul puts out a grammatical signpost. Hey, I'm changing thought here. And he does that from going and speaking in plural, generalizations, to speaking singular. So he has been talking about, hey, men in general. Hey, women in general. But now verse 11 and 12, he goes to a singular tense. A man, a woman. He uses these two words. The word for man is anur. The word for woman is 
gune, man, woman. But here's what you want to know. In the Greek language, every time anur and gune are used in the same sentence, so put them in the same sentence together, they are almost always translated husband and wife. And if you have an NIV Bible, you just kind of look at the footnote there, and you're going to see in the bottom, like it says, or husband and wife. So that's the, you know, the translation that would be right in line with what was written there. So rather than speaking in general, he's now going to a very specific situation. In other words, he's saying, and we have a situation in which a husband and a wife, a familial problem, this marriage problem is being brought back into the church. The issue, here's the issue. And it was one of authority. I want you to think control. The word that he uses here is the word authentine. Why don't you say that once with me? Authentine. One more time. Authentine. Now you can see the word authority in it, but authentine is a very, very, very specific word. It's not the general word for authority. That would be exousia. It's used 120 times in the Bible. I mean, that's, you know, he's talking about authority. That's the word he normally uses. But now he's talking about this unique thing. This is where it gets just a tad bit, you could say, detail. But I know you're going to follow this. This word is only used one time in the scripture, which makes it harder to compare it to other times that it's used. It's used very few times in history, which makes it even more a unique and particular word. The thing that got tricky for translators is for years, they didn't realize that the word begins to change meaning. Now, here's how something like that can happen and the importance of it. Back in 1973, when the very first time I picked up a Bible... Never read the Bible. But I picked up a Bible. I was given a King James Bible. Anybody here ever read the King James Bible? Yes. Good to see thee today. How art thou doing? Right? Welcome to, welcome to Shakespeare. But you know, that was the Bible. I'm like, hey, this is great. I mean, like, I was, I was ready to you know, learn what God had to say. Some of the words in the King James Bible, because it hadn't been updated since before 1900, they were changing in their meaning. For example... When I read in there that a Christian should be characterized as kara, kara is the word for joy or cheerfulness, but the King James translated the word kara as gay. So I'm reading, a Christian should be a gay person. Now, in, in 73, you're just kind of like, oh, I think I know what it's saying. It's supposed to be you know, joyful or happy that way. But if you were to pick up a King James Bible today and you read that a Christian is supposed to be gay, what are you hearing? Words kind of changed in meaning, hasn't it? Since before the 1900s and then, you know, even these last 50 years. Rather than hearing, oh yeah, we should be cheerful people, happy people, it comes across as this would be a same-sex orientation. When words change, you want to pay attention to it. Often Tian actually changed 100 years later. So when translators first looked at it from what they could glean from 2nd century or 3rd century, they got a more smoothed out word. As we've gone back and understand how it was being used in Paul's time, often Tian always meant an abuse of power. 
It was a dominance. It was a controlling one over another. So what was being said here is that a wife was acting in a way that publicly she wanted to be set up as the controller of her husband in the worship services that were going on. You can see how that could be a bit problematic. So we went from plural to singular. We went from just a general man-woman to understanding this is a husband and wife deal. We understand there's an abuse of power that's taking place here, abusiveness with each other. And the fourth clarifier is in the word quiet. It says, a woman should learn in quietness. It ends, a woman or she must be quiet. Now, if you tell your kids, be quiet, what are you telling them? You tell them to stop what? Stop talking. Like, be quiet. Like, stop talking. Not what's being said here. It's not, Paul is not saying, like, I want women to come to church and be quiet. Because he's told women and men, I want you to be praying publicly. I want you to be worshiping publicly. I want you to be prophesying or teaching publicly. All these things men and women are to be able to do. That, that's not quiet. Quiet here, the word is it's a state of being or it's a state of your soul. To, to, to have a quiet soul means you have a spirit that's at rest. You're not full of, full of angst. You're not out to prove anything. You are settled, which was the opposite of authentian that was going on. How did this happen? Like, how did it get to the place where wives were trying to dominate over their husbands' public worship that was going on. Well, we know some culture, right? Some of the culture was coming in, and that was certainly the culture in Ephesus. But even more so, it was simply, it's when we choose to misuse liberty. Anybody here ever misuse liberty given to you? You're looking at me like, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, um, let me ask you a different question. Anyone here ever when you got out from your parents' watchful eye, like when you went to college. And when you had this newfound freedom in college, you, you did some things that might not be considered wise. In fact, you used your liberty to do some things that could be considered stupid. Some things that you say now that you regret. Some things that you haven't even told your children about and have no plans to do so. Let me re-ask the question. Anybody here ever misused a liberty that's been given to you? Can I see your hand? Like, now, realize if you're a parent, you raise your hand, your kids are looking right now and going like, oh. and they, they're wanting answers. Like they're looking for information right here. Last week, we talked a little bit more about this. And you don't have to understand last week to understand this week. But I mean, if you want to go back and get a little bit more of this understanding of Jesus literally changed the world. When he took the role of women from being subservient individuals and restored it to God's original plan, he brought back dignity to women. He brought back equality to women, and it wasn't there before. It was so radical. This new freedom and liberty. Well, it was easy to you know, swing that pendulum a little bit and to let that get out of hand. And so that's why Paul wisely then, right after verse number 12, takes us right back to Genesis 1 and 2. 
And in Genesis 1 and 2, he reminds us, what was God's original plan for man and woman, for husband and wife? And there we, we remember it's mutualism. And this is what we tried to open up last week. Mutualism is when God created man and God created woman, he didn't create man, he didn't create woman, he created man and woman. They were co-regents. They are different and they are equal. And God's plan is that they work together as equal partners in creation and, of course, in families. well. When sin entered the world, the problem that came with sin was me first or me over. Me over is just a different way of saying, I want to get the edge or I want to be over you. Man, woman, husband, wife, wife, husband, but it's mankind over mankind, right? The history of the world is one wants to dominate another, and if you're stronger, well, that's how one nation conquers another nation, and they feel like they're justified in doing it. And throughout the ancient world, nobody thought anything about it because that's just the way that things work. But Jesus comes and he goes, no, this is how God planned it, and this is how God intended it. In fact, if you are married, what Jesus would say, rather than authentian characterizing your marriage, that is, one trying to control the other, one trying to impose your will to get what you want over the other person, he said, what I want for you is to have a mutual submission to each other. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, written to the church of Ephesians, Paul writes to married couples these words. He says, I want you to submit to one another out of a reverence for Jesus. He's saying this, if you love me, then you're going to treat your spouse in such a way that you put them first, like I have loved you. Competition in marriage, it usually doesn't work out well. And as somebody who's very competitive, like I've learned this firsthand. When I'm trying to, you know, outdo my wife, and there's only one thing that a competitiveness in marriage is going to help. And that's when we try to out-submit our partner. When you try to outlove your partner, that's when we begin to see this genius that Jesus brings to us. If you're married, which characterizes your marriage the most right now? Authentian or submission? And if you're finding that you're way more about wanting to control or get your way or be first that way, then Jesus would say, we need to actually repent. Because we're doing the opposite of what God wants and desires. And you know what? What we're starting in the home, we're going to be later bringing into the church. And it is what causes our children to say, why do I need to follow Jesus if this is all that it produces in our lives? In the early church, we learn from Romans 16. Men and women were leading together. They were teaching together. They were leading and using this gifts and talents that they'd been given to change the world. Those were the shout outs that were being given. I thought about, you know, how has Fox River been impacted by women leaders? And if you've been around for a while, I'm not going to, you know, mention names that you're like, oh, I, I realize that. But if you haven't, there's a couple of shout outs that I thought this would be very wise to be able to speak out today. 
The only problem with doing so is limiting it just to eight of them. But if I were to give a shout out today, I'd do so to Denise Kahn. Denise actually was one that took our children's ministry into a family-focused ministry. Denise is the leader of our global missions for Fox River. Tens of thousands of people being impacted under a woman's wise leadership. If you don't know Nicole Gunderson, she's on our church leadership team, our CLT team. Provides in this high-level leadership and helps each weekend for us to stay focused on mission with what's taking place here. Jill, Jill Hoffman, she leads our counseling ministry. There are, you know, scores of counselors. Hundreds of people are being helped, but you might not know this, that under Jill's leadership, there are multiple churches in our area now that are getting, they're coming for training under Jill and her team. And they're receiving the help they need to take counseling teams back to their churches and for people to be able to helping them there as well. Leaders of leaders. That would be Luann Glass, Erica Connor. Teachers of God's word, but those that are helping other people to understand that they've got leadership gifts in them and they're releasing them as well. We've got three women right now that are missionaries for Jesus that have come from Fox River. Jenna Nyanji, she's over in Kenya and serving there. Allie Niles, her plan now is to go to the Philippines. And she's going to work with youth at risk that are there. Carrie Roberts, she's preparing to go as a missionary to Guatemala. These are women leaders that are impacting our church and they're impacting the kingdom of God. And I thought it would just be so appropriate, Fox River, if we just gave a shout out to these women who are modeling. This is what can be done for Jesus if you'll just do what it is that God has asked you to do. The objection. Here's the objection. You know, if you let women be leaders and you let women be pastors you know, in the church, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Then women are going to do it and men, well, they're just going to sit back and they're going to let them. Men are going to be passive that way. And what would Jesus say to this? I'm pretty sure this is exactly what Jesus would say to us today about this. If you are a woman and you have been gifted to be able to make a difference, then for my sake, that is for Jesus' sake, would you please make a difference? Would you do it for the love of those that are in your church, that lives that you're going to help and impact? Would you do it for the generations that are coming behind you and looking up to you? Would you do it for the sake of a community that is in so need for light today? You have the ability to make a difference. Why don't you use the ability that God's given to you? Don't let that be held back. And if you're a man, if you've been gifted by God to be able to make a difference, it's time to step up. I mean, men, it's time to get up off our butts. If we think by letting somebody else do the leadership that Jesus has given to us, do you know who loses? We lose. Our kids lose. Our community loses. Our church loses. When we don't do the things that we can do, do. Imagine. Imagine a church in which men and women were stepping up together with the gifts that they've been given and blessing the church and empowering the church. Can you imagine what would happen? Jesus imagines it. 
I don't know if you can give the Holy Spirit a shout out. Can you give God a shout out? If you could give the Holy Spirit a shout out, I think this is a shout out that we should give the Holy Spirit. We should shout out to the Holy Spirit that he has gifted every single one of us with a unique and a spiritual gift. There are no exceptions to that rule. If you've received Jesus, you have been gifted by the Holy Spirit. You've been gifted to be able to make a difference in the kingdom of God. It's not a question of can we. Isn't it a question of will we? One of the reasons that we're encouraging everybody, join with us in this rooted experience that's going to take place this fall. Because we're going to learn how we're gifted. We're going to learn how it is that we can fit in and that we can make a difference. We're going to be able to be encouraging others to do that as well. And so if you haven't signed up yet, that's a good thing to do like today. Online, stop by the, you know, stop by afterwards. We've got groups for, you know, all sorts. We've got a rooted group just for Spanish-speaking individuals. And if you know somebody, you know, like Spanish is their primary language, let them know because there's a difference that they can make as well. We want to engage in what it is that Jesus has for us. Men and women leading, serving Jesus. Now, if you haven't received Jesus yet, what would it be like to stand before God? And if you stood before God today and you realize there's some things that God would judge me for, rightfully. But as the scripture says here, that there is one mediator between God and man. The reason that Jesus came, that he went to the cross and has risen again, is so that he can literally stand beside you when you stand before God. And he can say, I am here with Guy. And anything that the devil would accuse me of, Jesus would say, it's true, and I've paid the price for that. God, he stands ready to enter into your glory because of what I've done for him. And Jesus goes on to say, and I will help you now, and I'll change your life now to give you the life that you're looking for. And if you haven't trusted Jesus yet, these words... Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Don't miss out on that. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. And thank you as we open it up and look at it in its context. You help us to deal with problems that can come up because imperfect people bring problems into the church. And then you and your word help us to make those corrections so that your church, it will be a light and will be a life-giving place. Help us as followers of yours, Jesus, to do our part, to no longer sit idly, that we can hear a shout out, a well done from you. And Lord, for those that are ready to open their heart to you, to come to you saying, Jesus, I need a savior. I believe that you went to the cross and have risen again so that I could be forgiven. And as best I understand, I want to ask you for that grace today. 
How many would say, guy, I need Jesus as my savior. I've never received him, but I'd like to do so now. If that's you, can I ask, would you just raise a hand? Today, I need Jesus, and I'm asking him to be my savior. God bless you. Any others? What an amazing thing, Jesus, to see your grace in our midst. And these that are opening their lives to you right now, I pray that you would help them to experience the fullness of life and transformation. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. We love you and give you thanks. And all God's people said together, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast.